Intracerebral hemorrhage. Intracerebral hemorrhage, a subtype of stroke, is a devastating condition where by a hematoma is formed within the brain parenchyma without blood extension into the ventricles. Non-traumatic intracerebral hemorrhage comprises 10 to 15% of all strokes and is associated with high morbidity and mortality. Intracerebral hemorrhage risk factors include chronic hypertension, amyloid angiopathy, anticoagulation medication, and vascular malformations. The resultant brain injury is often classified as a primary, this being the initial damage to the parenchyma by the blood clot, secondary, or damage caused by complications from intracranial blood. Management of intracerebral hemorrhage ranges from medical therapy to open surgery to actively evacuate the hematoma, with studies be still being held to find less invasive therapies to improve prognosis. Etiology. Non-traumatic intracerebral hemorrhage can be divided into primary and secondary, where primary bleeds account for 85% of all intracerebral hemorrhage and are related to chronic hypertension and amyloid angiopathy. Secondary hemorrhage is considered to be related but not limited to bleeding, diathesis, iatrogenic congenital or acquired valvular malformations, neoplasms, hemorrhagic conversion of ischemic stroke, and drug abuse. Primary or spontaneous intracerebral hemorrhage accounts for 85% of hemorrhagic strokes. A primary intracerebral hemorrhage diagnosis is often one of exclusion where no other pathological or structural cause is found and is supported by a history of chronic hypertension, increased age, or and location of the clot. Over 60% of primary bleeds are related to hypertension, and these hematomas are most commonly seen in, patient, in the posterior fossa, pons, basal ganglia, and thalamus. Lobar hemorrhage in older patients are often the distinguishing feature of amyloid angiopathy. Epidemiology. The incidence of stroke, both ischemic and hemorrhagic, in 2010 was approximately 33 million worldwide, with hemorrhagic strokes accounting for nearly a third of the cases and over half of all the deaths. Through the worldwide incident, though the worldwide incidence sits at nearly 20 cases per 100,000 people every year, the occurrence of intracerebral hemorrhage in low-middle-income regions is double compared to the rates of more economically developed countries. Fortunately, however, the mortality from such strokes has decreased worldwide. The increased risk of lower economically developed countries is potentially related to the lack of education regarding primary prevention and, and inadequate access to medical care. Stroke, both ischemic and hemorrhagic, ranks fourth on the list of leading cause of death in the United States, with just under 20% of cerebrovascular incidents in the United States are intracerebral hemorrhage. Pathophysiology. Hemorrhages within the, the cerebral parenchyma are often categorized into primary injury, the immediate tissue injury from the hematoma and secondary injury, the subsequent pathological change that results from the hemorrhage. Although intracerebral hemorrhage is commonly considered a single event disease, it is more recently being considered a dynamic condition with multiple phases, these being the initial extravasation of blood into the parenchyma, subsequent bleeding around the clot causing expansion, swelling or edema around the hematoma. An acute intracerebral hemorrhage causes a sudden increase in mass within the parenchyma of the brain, which causes compression and disruption of the surrounding neuronal tissue, leading to a potential compromise of the nearby cell signaling pathways and causing a focal neurological deficit. Blood dissipates with the, within the white matter, leaving small focuses of intact neural tissue among the hematoma and around it, which is, in theory, salvageable. When the hematoma is within the brainstem, the initial manifestation can be decreased level of consciousness, 
along with cardio, respiratory distress, and even arrest. One important factor in predicting the patient's prognosis and functional outcome is the expansion of initial hematoma, which is defined on repeat CT scanning as a volume increase of 33 to 50%. Clot expansion of this volume is seen in just under 40% of patients and is related to increased morbidity and poor outcomes. History and physical. As with all acute presentations, a concise but thorough history is crucial to forming a diagnosis. Relevant details in the history of the intracerebral hemorrhage include uh, chronicity of symptoms and the time of the ictus. Most commonly, va vascular events are sudden and may be precipitated by high energy activity such as exercise or heavy listening or using drugs like cocaine and alcohol. A significant smoking history has implications of vascular disease such as hypertension and vasculitis, both of which are risk, risk factors for intracerebral hemorrhage. The most common feature of intracerebral hemorrhage is a sudden onset focal neurological deficit, which is determined by the location of the hemorrhage and the subsequent edema. This is often associated with a decrease in the patient's conscious level measured using the Glasgow Coma Scale. Other common symptoms and signs include headache, nausea, vomiting, seizures, both convulsive and non-convulsive, and a raised diastolic blood pressure greater than 110 millimeters of mercury. Extension of the clot into the ventricles can cause obstructive hydrocephalus, which, may, which manifests itself with symptoms of raised intracranial pressure, including posterior headaches, worse when on lying flat, papilloedema, nausea, vomiting, diplopia, confusion, and reduced conscious level. Initial evaluation of the patient should include checking for airway patency and appropriate ventilation. Circulation must be assessed next and one must secure wide bore venous access and aim for systolic blood pressure targets between 120 and 140 millimeters of mercury to maintain cerebral perfusion. A very low level of consciousness of GCS of less than eight must be treated as an emergency and obtaining a secure airway in a patient with low consciousness is a priority. The patient must then have a complete peripheral infection and inspection and examination. This includes checking the patient's pupils as dilation and inactivity of the pupils is a sign of cerebral herniation and must be treated immediately. Once medically stable, it is pertinent to confirm a clear history of anticoagulant antiplatelet therapy or coagulation disorders and check the patient's clotting function and other routine blood tests. Any coagulation abnormalities should be discussed with a hematologist and corrected appropriately. Treatment and management. In the pre-hospital setting, the mainstay of treatment involves airway breathing circulation support, aiming to get the patient to the closest emergency department with capabilities of managing a stroke. A detailed history from any witness or family carers at the site uh, at the incident is always useful as it may provide pertinent information regarding trauma, medical, and drug history. Most intracerebral hemorrhage presentations include raised blood pressure for various physiological reasons, including pain, stress, a history of increased blood pressure and raised intracranial pressure. The potential consequence of a persistently raised systolic blood pressure is hematoma expansion, and therefore initial me medical management must include treatment of elevated blood pressure. However, blood pressure reduction should be taken into account the patient's regular blood pressure as hypertensive patients may not be able to maintain cerebral perfusion at a significantly lower systolic blood pressure. Differential diagnosis. Many pathologies can present themselves acutely with symptoms and signs similar to that of an acute intracerebral hemorrhage, 
The common symptoms of headache and nausea along with clinical manifestations of decreased consciousness, confusion, seizures, and focal neurological deficit are often seen with other intracranial hemorrhages such as subarachnoid hemorrhage and subdural hemorrhage, both acute and chronic, neoplasms, and infection. Brain tumors frequently present insidiously due to their gradual growth. Most patients can compensate until the intracranial pressure is high enough to produce symptoms like such as headache, nausea, vomiting, seizures, and decreased Glasgow coma scale. On closer examination of the history, there's often evidence of a subtle progressive history. A contrasted CT imaging is often required to make a diagnosis. Patients with neoplastic lesions may, be, may present with hemorrhage into a primary or secondary brain tumor in some situations. This can cause diagnostic uncertainty that often requires delayed imaging in the form of a MRI. To make, to make a more accurate diagnosis of underlying pathology. Prognosis. Acute inter, intracerebral hemorrhage can be a catastrophic event with mortality largely predicted at the hematoma size, location, and the patient's GCS on admission. At 30 days, the mortality rate can be as high as 50%, with most of these deaths occurring within the first 24 hours of the initial insult with intraventricular blood and hydrocephalus often playing a large role in the patient's deterioration. Patients presenting to the hospital with a GCS of less than 9 and a clot size of 60 milliliters or more have about a 90% mortality rate. Posterior fossa and brainstem hemorrhages carry a poorer prognosis due to the propensity for the development of obstructive hydrocephalus and life-sustaining function, respectively. Less than 20% of patients that, are, that survive are seen to be autonomous in six months following the acute hemorrhage. Further, factors such as the patient's age, comorbidities also affect outcomes following intracerebral hemorrhage. Although there's no definitive ways of predicting outcomes, early withdrawal of care can in itself lead to a self-fulfilling prophecy. Therefore, full medical care and treatment should be offered to all patients with intracerebral hemorrhage who do not have an advanced directive or known wishes for the first 24 to 48 hours post-ictus.